0: Hi, I'm Miranda Jenowitz, and this is Whereabouts, where we explore the curious ways that politics, business, and culture intersect with real estate markets around the world. In this episode of Whereabouts, we find ourselves in Detroit, the financial power base of the state of Michigan. In the first decade of the 2000s, Michigan lost over 300,000 automotive manufacturing jobs, many of those in and around Detroit resulting in 100,000 residential foreclosures and 30,000 home demolitions in the city. That left a city center landscape of empty fields and abandoned houses. It also created an opportunity. In the last 10 years, Detroit has enjoyed an incredible turnaround, fueled by private and public investment in infrastructure, housing, and jobs. The Detroit of today is an eclectic landscape of historic buildings repurposed into modern office space, residential towers housing a growing population of young professionals, and urban gardens. These and more are uniting Detroit's new and old populations into vibrant communities. My co-host today is Tori Sheffer, associate broker with Signature Sotheby's International Realty. Tori and I sat down to discuss the new face of Detroit. Hi, Tori. Thank you for joining me today on Whereabouts.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thank you for having me.
0: Detroit, let's turn to the city for a moment. Just some interesting facts. It's uh population 670,000 people, uh, which is a decline from year after year since the 1950s, I think it peaked at 1.9 million people. And so it's lost over a million people um, in the last 60 plus years. The big industry is auto. Another is Quicken Loans. Um, And uh, Dan Gilbert, who runs that and has been doing a lot uh, to revive the city as well. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, so Quicken Loans is now the the city's largest employer. So I guess the last numbers that I saw, I think they have over 17,000 employees. Wow. And that's Quicken Loans alone. And then Dan Gilbert also has Bedrock, which is his real estate company. And they own and develop all kinds of commercial and residential real estate. So he owns through Bedrock, he owns over 100 um buildings downtown.
0: And so is he developing commercial land more, residential, a mix?
1: Commercial and residential, yeah, but a heavy, heavy mix.
0: Where is he headed with this? Is it just land is cheap in Detroit and let's kind of make a return on investment? Or is this about um, a vision for Detroit that he has?
1: I think it's both. I mean, it's incredibly cheap compared to different cities. I mean, it's so incredibly cheap for him to just buy blocks and acres and acres of land and then tear down and build whatever he needs. And then he does so much with the city. I think he's invested now close to $3 billion that is under development. He's starting to build more residential towers, whether they're for lease or for sale. Towers, high rises. High rises, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. which there are not a lot of residential high rises in Detroit. There will be four, five, six stories. But as far as like a 10 plus story, there are really not a lot.
0: And even, this is even in downtown
1: Detroit. Downtown, that's this just... is right in the heart of it. Okay. So he's bringing the new, new construction kind of high end. But there, you know, like last year and the year before, I think there were only a handful of condos that sold over a million. And now this year more than ever, um, but still very few, just because there's not the inventory, there's not the buildings for it. So he's trying to create that really create the neighborhoods where people will live and then eventually these buildings will appreciate.
0: Competition for these high-end residences.
1: Like I mentioned, there are only a few. So a lot of the people who are buying those are primarily going to be like professional athletes or your doctors and lawyers. Primarily people looking in that price range are going to look to the suburbs like Bloomfield Hills or Birmingham.
0: A two-bedroom condo in downtown Detroit. What is the highest... And that you'll pay for that?
1: So with some of the new development, they'll go up into 800s. Wow. But some of the stuff that's been there historically is going to be like three, 400.
0: Okay. So the decision is, do I want to live urban? Do I want to live outside of the city kind of for the same price, have a much bigger home?
1: Yeah. So it's a, it's a bigger home, but then primarily it's uh, kind of the neighborhood and the schools. So people okay. with kids. So Birmingham schools are some of the top. Bloomfield Hills schools are some of the top Uh, Cranbrook, which is in Bloomfield Hills, is one of the top um, private schools in the country, actually.
0: So if the city is working to build more residential housing and reinvigorate these inner city communities, do they have solutions for transportation?
1: Right now, everyone is still driving. I know that it's been a constant battle to try and find out a solution that works, but they just haven't gotten there.
0: In Detroit, is there a really concentrated downtown where most people are commuting to?
1: So Quicken Loans is right downtown. Um, and then also the so the Illich family is another major developer. Um, they own Olympia Development, which, who owns the Red Wings, and they also own the Detroit Tigers. So any employees for those companies is working downtown. But then the Fords and the GMs, those are actually located in some of the cities that are outside of actual Detroit about 20 minutes, probably out from the center of Detroit.
0: And so these these residential projects um, that are happening in downtown,
1: can you tell me a little bit about that? I mean, before it was vacant land, it was just old foreclosed houses that were becoming really dangerous places. They would go in and just tear them down and turn it into vacant land. And then Dan Gilbert would see an opportunity and often pay next to nothing and get tons of, you know, hundreds of millions in tax credit in order to build these new places.
0: I read that in the last 15 years, uh, Detroit had a hundred thousand foreclosures, which resulted in 30,000 demolitions in the city. It's very unique to imagine a a city center with so much vacant land.
1: In Detroit, we are where everything is, is houses, right? It's not in like New York or maybe like California, it was, is more vertical, but everything is just single family houses. And then, yeah, I mean, a ton of them went into foreclosure. You could buy blocks and blocks of houses for like $1 a piece or $2 a piece.
0: And I don't know if this is related to that or if it's its own tradition, but tell me a little bit about urban gardens in Detroit. What is that about?
1: Yeah, so urban gardens is another thing that kind of came up from houses being torn down. And people would start just putting a garden in the lot that was vacant next to them. And then they would have another vacant lot, so they would put another garden there. They would just get bigger and bigger and bigger.
0: Detroit had a tradition of urban gardening that seems to have gone back further than even the more recent vacant lots it's it's not just an interesting use of land and now we talk about carbon footprint you can look at it from that perspective but i imagine it also brings communities together
1: oh 100% because then it's anything it, it brings accountability and a sense of pride in these communities so you know with an urban garden whether it's in a certain neighborhood and then you have people in the community who live there, are the ones taking care of it and growing everything and weeding and planting and doing whatever else is needed. Okay. So they do a lot of what is called the community build, and so this is a way. So these communities raise money through grants or foundations or whatever to buy the the structures, and then they do a community build to install it. So some of these installations will cost you know tens of thousands of dollars to hire it professionally, but then they do a community build and they'll bring out two three hundred volunteers and build just really massive parks which really improve the value of the community as well and then those are taken care of a lot better because the people in the community helped build it so they sure. have that sense of pride they're
0: invested personally and yeah and so these gardens are they growing food for their families are they selling this food
1: yeah primarily for their families for themselves and then some are selling as well so a big place to sell it would be at the East End Market, which is kind of a massive farmer's market every weekend, really an area that's taken off.
0: So I've understood that there's 1,500 individual gardens in Detroit today, uh, involving over 20,000 residents who take part in that. And some of the larger projects are forming agrihoods
1: what they're forming is kind of these whole communities like we talked about with people that are coming together to grow they're able to grow these vegetables and work on these agrihoods and work on these you know urban farms and then they can also go and sell the products at the eastern market or wherever they may sell it.
0: And they're everywhere. you're just kind of you're walking through a neighborhood home 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 garden.
1: They're everywhere, yeah. I mean, even in neighborhoods, but then even in downtown. So, like, there, you know, there's one that I know that it's right across the street from like uh, Little Caesars Arena, which is brand new. That's where the Detroit Red Wings play, and then the Detroit Pistons play there as well.
0: And so, right next door to that, you have some urban gardens and people out there tending their vegetables as you're walking to your hockey game.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and that, and that's the same thing that happened. You know, the the way that that Little Caesars arena in that area was able to come about is from these foreclosed houses that were torn down. And there was just, you know, they bought a couple blocks and built this whole area up. So if you actually go outside of these, that Little Caesars arena where that block has been developed, there are still a lot of those houses that need to be torn down or remodeled, whatever the case may be.
0: And besides somebody like Dan Gilbert, who's coming in and doing large-scale projects of buying huge swaths of land and demolishing and doing something new, is that an interesting prospect for individual investors? Are there people looking to do that just for their own personal home?
1: Yes, definitely. I mean, there are a ton of people um, coming in, investing. It's actually bringing a lot of foreign investment, which is a little bit newer for Detroit recently because it's taken a lot... Longer to rebound from the crash than anyone else did just because we're so auto-centric and the auto industry took such a heavy hit. So it really hasn't fully rebounded from that housing crash back in 07, 08.
0: And and foreign investment is who, is from which countries, if you know? China. China. China,
1: Yeah, primarily. I mean, we have the University of Michigan in uh, Ann Arbor, which um, you know, a ton of people are sending their kids there and then they see cheap places to buy in Detroit. And that kind of just attracts them to the area. So, I mean, Ann Arbor and Detroit are completely separate, completely different, um, but it just brings that attention to Michigan.
0: Interesting. And well, one of the big developments happening or planned for the next few years is the Ford headquarters in Dearborn. Dearborn. The plans have been released and is a amazing modern project. A lot of open spaces, a lot of green spaces.
1: Yeah, a lot of green spaces, a lot of green spaces on roofs and very modern. I mean, they're bringing in some of their autonomous cars as well and have these cars bring the employees into you know, the actual building so the parking can be farther out and there will be more green spaces and walking spaces and restaurants and things for the employees to enjoy. So,
0: even the games. car companies are just done with cars at this point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They're
1: trying to keep them out, like keep, you know, keep everything on the outskirts and then keep them more, more open and walkable. You know, walkability is something that people living in Metro Detroit really haven't experienced, right near downtown, near no. the restaurants and things like that.
0: Detroit seems to be changing so much. People want to live downtown. On the other hand, there's a long way to go still for downtown Detroit, sounds like.
1: Yes, there there's still a long way to go because people are, you know, people are living out in these suburbs and they grew up in these suburbs. So this is what they know. You know, these people are 20, 22, 23 years old.
0: And so now they're moving into Detroit, but they're still kind of moving back out to the suburbs after this sort of sweet spot. I'm in my 20s. I'm hanging out. I don't have kids.
1: Right. While they're, you know, 20 and single, but then they get married and then they move out to you know, out to Birmingham or Royal Oak or Ferndale or Berkeley or some of those areas.
0: But in order to have a sustainable community, you kind of want them to be able to stay longer in Detroit. Like how do you, where you're from there, what would you do? You were mayor of Detroit. Well, how would you create a world where these people would stay?
1: So I think that the biggest thing is schools. So, I mean, the schools in downtown Detroit are still terrible. You know, if I were mayor of Detroit, that would be you know, would almost want to create uh, an essence of people bringing in all kinds of money, maybe force them to put something into some schools while they're buying land for nothing and getting tax credits.
0: Therein lies the challenge because normally you're using property tax to fund good schools and here you're in a position where you have a lot of vacant space and you're trying to change that. So you're giving tax incentives for people to develop that land. So where's the money going to come from?
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's kind of a cycle of the money not going to where it needs to be.
0: One or two great neighborhoods that you see changing that you think are really interesting right now. If you were going to relocate downtown, where would you look? What is interesting?
1: So there are two areas. So Corktown is one that's really going to continue to boom. Um,
0: so and where is that? That's just
1: downtown? Is Just it? downtown Detroit. Uh-huh. Yep. Um, so Ford just purchased the an old train station, which is called the the Michigan Central Station. So they purchased that, and I believe they're putting about $700 into it. And then they're going to bring all kinds of employees there.
0: So So, they're building it as a campus for their company. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's a big, beautiful building. They actually sold tours of it last year. So they just bought it last year. So they they sold tours of it because this building had sat vacant for like decades. And then they're going to completely revamp it and make it, livable and usable and put all that money into it and then that those neighborhoods right in Corktown are really going to boom
0: you see that as a mix of like nice restaurants and shops and residential
1: and kind of really become yep. its own mixture of everything so yeah. the, it'll become its own little ecosystem so another area is Ferndale so it's like if you cross eight mile then you're in Detroit and then you're on the other side of eight mile you're in Ferndale So basically the suburbs, eight mile and nine mile, they're a mile apart, right? Obviously that's kind (laughs) of how the the roads work there. Um, But between eight and nine mile was like a transition from Detroit. And then if you go north of nine mile, that gets closer to um, like Berkeley and Birmingham. That eight mile area historically was not great.
0: Okay. And now that's...
1: So how it's kind of started is from Birmingham and then people got priced out of Birmingham. So they went to Royal Oak and then people started to get priced out of Royal Oak. So they went to Berkeley and Ferndale. So Ferndale is kind of the last one that's getting closer and closer to Detroit from the North. So Ferndale is really one of these areas. People are buying houses if they can find and like an unbelievable deal for like 50, 60,000. So that area is kind of starting to come together. It's cool to see the way that it it, it moves and prices move and people move and where that ends up being
0: it sounds very dynamic and very um interesting to watch and be part of
1: yeah it's very very unique
0: thank you so much for joining me today
1: thank you so much for having me
0: and thank you for listening to this episode of whereabouts if you want to find out more about detroit's real estate market learn more about my co-host tori scheffer Or listen to other episodes of Whereabouts, head to whereabouts-podcast.com. You can also listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And while you're there, please give us a review. I'm Miranda Jenowitz, and you've been listening to Whereabouts.